You are listening to Subro on the Go, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor's Subrogation and Recovery Practice Group, with discussions and perspectives on emerging trends, developments, and best practices. Now let's get started with your hosts, Dave Briscoe and Joe Rich. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Subro on the Go. Um, back again here, David Briscoe from our California office, joined uh, with our regular co-host uh, Joe Rich from our Miami office. And we have two special guests today. Um, we've got Tony Maroney, uh, based out of our Chicago office. He is the chair of our Midwest region, been practicing for over 20 years. Um, and Josh Goodman, based also in our Miami office with Joe and chair of our Southeast region, um, also practicing for over 20 years. I think Josh gets special applause from me for working on a daily basis with Joe. Um, and Joe, but tell us, what are we talking about here today? So we are at what I would say is probably the official two-year anniversary of COVID. And if we look back two years ago, everybody was closing down at the end of March. Um, Going into April, some of us thought maybe this would be 30 days. I know Josh and I were having talks at that time about, you know, are we going to be shut down 30 days, 60 days? I don't think anybody thought it would be two years, you know, and that there would be a wide variety of variants that would you know, force us as litigators and recovery professionals to rethink how we push our cases, how we litigate our cases. And we were lucky enough to have some remote tools available to us, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, and, you know, the courts, court reporters and and litigators, we all kind of embraced it as a necessary reality. Um, and, and before this podcast, Tony and I were communicating like how often we've used Zoom over the past two years. I think Tony's at like over 100 depositions, a little bit more than me. I've had probably 25 plus Zoom mediations over the last couple of years. So it has become a regular part of you know our daily routine as subrogators to use these tools. I'm, I'm sure Josh is going to comment on um, his distaste for it when it comes to certain types of depositions, and we'll get into that a little later. But, you know, since we're at this anniversary, you know, we're thinking with this podcast, let's look back, see how we've used these things, and think about are these tools, you know, what are their role going forward? So, you know, our first topic is court appearances, motion hearings. We're going to talk a little bit about that. So, you know, Tony, Josh, Dave, what do you guys think? Yeah, um, you know, I, I always, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know I proudly carry the California flag, and I also get a lot of grief, you know, for some of the comedic nuances about my state. But um, I'm happy to brag that, you know, especially as it comes to court appearances and motion hearings, this has been, you know, business as usual in California since I started practicing, um, where, you know, all of our, you know, case management conferences are, are remote via, you know, via court call. You know, most of our motion practice hearings, motions to compel or, or case motions are um, are done via court call. And it's just an incredible time savings. You know, I would get questions when I first started, you know, 17 years ago. Um, oh, I've got a, you know, case management conference with the court coming up. Oh, oh, are you going to go in person? I was like, no, why would I go in person? It's, you know, I'd have to fly there and, and it's, you know, for a five minute hearing, you can just, you can have your entire case at your disposal 
Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, you don't have to, usually you're waiting in line for, for two hours for the court to work through a series of cases before they get to yours. So you can just sit at your desk, prepare for your motion, prepare for your case management conference, have your entire case ready, um, at the, you know, click of a button if the court has a particular question for you or even work on other matters. So the time savings is just huge, but I, I want to hear from, you know, Tony and Josh, but what are your thoughts? Yeah. So, uh, I appreciate the introduction. I appreciate uh, being invited on the podcast. I've been listening to it since you guys started, and it's a it's a great uh, podcast. But to, to get to this topic, so th- thanks again for having me on. Uh, but to get to this topic, uh, I think this is the only subset I'll agree with you on, is that I think that Zoom and Teams and things like that are definitely beneficial for motion calendar, case management conferences, where normally in Miami... Uh, pre-COVID, you would go to a courthouse, uh, you'd go uh, sit outside the courtroom or inside the courtroom with 50 other attorneys, and you'd be there for three hours uh, waiting to be called, and you'd have literally a five-minute hearing or a 10-minute hearing. Uh, Same thing with case management conferences. So yeah, I, I agree with you with those types of hearings, it's, it's excellent. It's, it's added a lot of efficiencies to our work. It's reduced costs for our clients. I think it's increased efficiencies for the court system and the judges, especially like in, in Miami or, or the Florida uh, state court system where the state judges do not have clerks. Uh, so they do a lot of work. Uh, so that's helped their efficiencies. Um, but other than that, I mean, if we go on, you know, I'd be interested to hear what Tony has to say. But going on to like evidentiary hearings and trials, I have a total different opinion. Yeah, Josh, I, I have to agree. Um, I don't ever see um, Zoom or the uh, Microsoft team meetings uh, becoming part of the trial process. Uh, but the litigation process for sure. Uh, I agree. I think gone are the days where you're going to go into court for a 15 minute hearing. Uh, I can remember, you know, before the pandemic, getting on a flight, going to flying to St. Louis or Detroit, uh, spending several hours doing that for a 10-minute hearing. Uh, so I'm happy to report that is no longer, I think, going to be the norm. Uh, and as well, I think it's really helpful for us uh, in our multi-state practices. Um, you know, I used to worry about uh, certain defense counsel wanting to file motions and dragging me uh, across, you know, various states uh, on motion practice as a means of making it more difficult to litigate cases out of state. Uh, with Zoom and the court hearings um, being done by Zoom, that's not going to happen anymore. So it definitely adds to the efficiency of the litigation. Uh, and as you said, I think the other hearings that we're having uh, the courts love it. I just got a hearing notice for a case I have in Wisconsin where we have seven pretty significant motions. The court set it for a Zoom hearing and allotted us uh, two hours of time. Uh, so uh, rather than traveling and doing it, the court wanted it that way. Uh, so we'll, we'll abide by that. And uh, But it does definitely add the efficiencies to the practice, uh, but I don't ever see it going uh, as far as actually having trials by Zoom. So let's, I think you guys have some really positive comments about it. And I think universally, like Josh said, um, this is probably the one area where there's agreement, but let's, let's move on to depositions and talk about 
you know, the, what I would consider the meat of a lot of our litigated cases, you know, um, fact witness, expert depositions, our cases tend to rise and fall in that aspect of litigation. And I know Josh and Tony, you guys may have different views. Um, I'm kind of a middle of the road guy when it comes to this topic. I think there are pros and cons that have to be weighed on a case by case basis. And I, I don't take a bright line rule on this. Um, so, so Josh, what do you think? Cause I, I, I know what you think, but why don't you tell the audience what you think? Yeah. So it's, it's time to take the gloves off, I guess. Um, yeah, I think depositions by zoom or teams, uh, or even by phone are fine for a simple fact witness. That's going to have maybe at most one or two exhibits where there's basically one plaintiff and one defendant. So you only have two counsel and a court reporter. Other than that, I think that Zoom and Teams and phone inter, uh, depositions uh, are the worst thing for the practice of law. I mean, if you think about what we're in, we're involved in words, we're involved in the law, and we're involved in reading people and trying to understand whether or not in a deposition they're persuasive enough to, in front of a jury, uh, have credibility. And I find that that most important part of our job uh, lacks when you're sitting in front of a Zoom screen. I can tell you by uh, when, when COVID first started and we had to use Zoom and we had to use Teams because we had to move our cases, um, I had taken a deposition of an individual who I thought came off excellent. He was one of my fact witnesses. I thought he came off excellent. And then when we saw him in person, he, for whatever reason, couldn't put two sentences together. It was too nervous because he had people in front of him and he just couldn't articulate what he articulated uh, on Zoom, which is an interesting, you know, I'm no psychologist, but there's got to be some sort of psychology to that. Um, yeah, and it's, let me, Josh, let me just jump in and so our audience understands. Josh's view of this is probably colored by two cases him and I worked on together over the course of the pandemic where there were multiple depositions and just about every issue that you can imagine in a Zoom deposition came up, right, Josh? The witness was playing game. One witness was playing games about not being able to see the photographs clearly. Um, you know, there were complications with exhibits and it was a big litigation. So, you know, that I think is colored some of this. Right, Josh? Yeah, of course. Of course. And, you know, that's all we can do is take it from our real world experiences of kind of what we've seen, how um, effective it's been in presenting our cases. At the end of the day, right, we're litigating these cases, we're uh, exchanging discovery, we're taking depositions uh, to be able to evaluate the viability of these subrogation cases for our clients. And a good percentage of that evaluation is how our witnesses are going to present in front of a finder of fact, whether that be a judge or a jury once we get to trial. And so I just find that that is significantly lacking uh, in a deposition when whether it's the other side taking the deposition of your fact witnesses or whether you're taking the deposition of other fact witnesses and even experts. I mean, experts is a whole other story because you've got so much technical material and exhibits and some fact witnesses, you can have tons of exhibits. So I just find it completely uh, impractical when it comes to any significant litigation with significant witnesses, significant number of uh, deposition exhibits. And even when you have you know, multiple parties. I mean, I was on a deposition where 
for whatever reason, want, there was uh, me being the plaintiff and there were about six defendants. And for whatever reason, every time we'd have a Zoom deposition, one defendant's attorney uh, either couldn't get his microphone working or couldn't get uh, his um, uh, speakers working and or couldn't present exhibits and we would have to reschedule. And it just seemed to be more of a headache uh, in that respect practically um, than just getting on a plane, traveling there and being in the room with somebody. So one, you could see how the person would really present and make sure that nobody, whether it's legitimate that they were having technical issues or whether they were playing games, I don't know, but it seemed kind of consistent to happen when he was in a bad position. But yeah, that, that's I, I my think view. there's, I think there's a little bit of both. If I'm being honest about gamesmanship and technical issues, Tony, what are your thoughts? Cause I know you and I had, I mentioned it at the start, you know, I think you may be setting a record for the number of Zoom depositions <laughs> during the course of the pandemic. And you even had, a, I think, an interesting anecdote about an expert who you felt was not as persuasive over Zoom. So, so what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I will say, first of all, I definitely agree with Josh with regards to phone depositions uh, because you don't get to see the witnesses. I have not had any issues uh, or very minimal issues, I'll say, with um, the technology. Uh, or witnesses or attorneys playing games, although I recognize that that issue is out there. Um, I have taken a lot of depositions and presented a lot of witnesses by Zoom, uh, and I haven't really found it to uh, affect my ability to judge witnesses. Uh, to me, the way I litigate, um, I want to keep my cases rolling forward. And the more I can do that, the more pressure I can uh, put to bear on the defense counsel, that's my goal. And if I can get five, you know, I just had five depositions of uh, firefighters and fire investigators from a municipality in a case. We rolled right through those over the course of two days. Uh, and, you know, that helps move that case forward. I don't think I get that deposition, those depositions scheduled, frankly, if we don't do it by Zoom because it was easy to accommodate the witnesses and defense counsel. So you do get some of that, you know, you, you get the ability to uh, leverage the technology so that you can uh, keep your case moving forward. Uh, yeah, and you talked a little bit about, um, you know, experts. I had, I've done a lot of expert depositions by Zoom. I haven't really found it to be an issue. Uh, the one expert that you're specifically talking about uh, is a professional expert. I've deposed him in person multiple times, and he had a very interesting way of uh, with body language, you know, he, he clearly was trained at some point. Uh, he would lean forward, he would, you know, move his hands in a certain way, he'd lean back. Um, and whether or not that was effective in person, I, I, I frankly doubt it, but it mattered to him. And when we deposed him by Zoom, he just sat there. Uh, and gone were those uh, little intricacies of his uh, that he'd been taught to lean forward or lean back or do the, you know, certain things that he thought made him a more effective witness. Uh, actually, it got to the point where he just sat there um, for so long. He was in his office and the light turned off. And I made a comment to him. I said, you know, even God's not quite sure that what you said made sense. And uh, it flustered him a little bit. So, you know, I, I have seen that the, um, the, the use of 
these depositions by Zoom has helped me move the cases forward. I haven't seen the issues. And, you know, the other thing I've seen is with subpoena witnesses, especially the ones that you don't know whether or not they're going to show up, uh, you know, planning those by Zoom gives you a lot of flexibility. Uh, I can remember going down to Florida for a bunch of depositions of subpoena witnesses and half of them didn't show up. Uh, you know, taking those by Zoom, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about that issue anymore. It's a lot easier to reschedule and it's not a lot, a lot less inconvenient uh, as well. Uh, with regards to exhibits, for me, the exhibit issues haven't been that great. Um, I, I tend to share my exhibits, or at least most of my exhibits, the day before. Uh, I find that if the defense attorney shares those exhibits with the witnesses, uh, those depositions tend to be actually a little bit better because they're a little bit more prepared, um, usually to answer the questions and, and on the issues that I care about. If there is something where I think I got a gotcha moment, I don't necessarily have to share those. Uh, I haven't shared those and I can share my screen uh, and I found that to be just as effective. So uh, by and large, I just think uh, the remote depositions has given me opportunities to move cases forward that were otherwise lacking uh, without any great issues. Uh, so I'm, I'm in favor, but for the most part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. great points by both of you. I, I got to jump in. Josh really took the gloves off with the uh, worst thing for the practice of law line. Um, and, and I appreciate, you know, all the points. I, I do want to make the argument for that. I, that I really love dep you know, Zoom depots um, for one, one particular reason, which is having the entire case at your fingertips, right? Why, why did we see, I'll say back in the day now, you know, um, an attorney lugging in banker's boxes into a depot because we don't know what we may need for that particular witness. Um, and so we want to have everything. We want to have all the photos available. We want to have all the documents available. And so now being able to have that, everything in the case at our fingertips to be able to drag and drop onto the screen is so powerful. Um, and then I, I see, I know we had a lot of common ground on the fact witnesses. One thing that's very helpful for us um, in using a Zoom depot is the ability particularly like we'll do a lot of wildfire cases in California is to put up Google Earth in front of the witness and have the witness walk us through where the witness was standing at a particular point in time when the witness observed the fire, um, you know, um, and, and be able to move, you know, uh, Google Earth around and have the witness draw for us on the map, you know, where they observed fire at a given point in time. So some of the, the ways we can leverage technology um, in these depositions is, is really powerful and helpful but certainly, you know, acknowledging the, the kind of psychological issues of being in the room with your witness. Let me just jump on the tech point really quick. So t Tony made a point about the exhibits. Um, I found, and, and I litigated a fairly intense case along with Josh where we had over 100 exhibits and the majority of the depositions were taken by Zoom. And I became a master, and I think everybody's got to become a master of the technology, not just Zoom, but PDF programs. And I encountered a situation where the witnesses were being difficult with marking exhibits. So I started doing it and kind of created a color coding system. And it, and it works. It works if, you're, if you feel comfortable with it. And the other point I wanted to pick up on what Tony said, and I think it's a really important point, is subpoenaed witnesses and public officials, I found that they love Zoom. It's much easier to secure that testimony through Zoom, um, it's much more efficient for those non-party witnesses, and I do think there is a much more likelihood 
that they will participate. So I just wanted to add those points. I don't know if anybody else has anything to add on depositions before we move on to mediations. Yeah, so uh, I would say one thing, Joe, Tony, Dave, you guys are probably some of the best attorneys I've uh, ever worked with, but you were all wrong in this situation. <laughs> I love it. Well, love Dave, it. Dave took a shot at me earlier and thanked you for working with me. So I guess, you know, I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but I'll take it. Um, so let's let's talk about what I think is probably the other big litigation event where where remote tools like Zoom and Teams or whatever platform a mediator chooses to use really has an impact on our cases and how we push them. And that's mediations. So again, I'm, I, I'm not trying to not pick a side, but I am still a middle of the road guy in this area as well. I think I wholeheartedly believe that there are some cases and I've had cases where I've pushed for in-person mediations for very specific reasons. And there are some cases where I think Zoom is a perfect fit. Um, I think like anything else, you got to know your case and kind of know the cast of characters that you're dealing with, you know, gauge how educated the other side is and, and think about, and I use the term levers, right? What type of levers are you going to need to pull at mediation to advance your case? So l let me open it up to, you know, Tony, Josh, Dave, what do you guys think? Who wants to jump in first? Tony? I'll start first. Um, you know, I, it's hit or miss for me. Uh, I've mediated uh, maybe a dozen or so cases. And, you know, there you get, the again, the time value. Um, you know, a lot of mediations, you spend a lot of time just sitting there waiting for the mediator to come back and forth. So you do uh, have the ability to get other work done, I suppose. Uh, but in terms of actually getting the cases resolved, um, I've been, it's been effective, but you do lose some of the tools that you have at your disposal uh, when you're in person. You know, you can't walk down the hall uh, and talk to a defense counsel or, you know, who's the client representative that may be there. Uh, sometimes, you know, you need that, that pace of the day uh, to get the case in a position to get resolved. Uh, you know, you build momentum over time sometimes when you're in person. Uh, with, the, with the small things you can do that you just simply can't do uh, when you're on a Zoom mediation. Uh, the other thing I think you lose is, you know, whenever I'm in person, the first question I ask my mediator is, who is in the other room and do they have a flight to catch? Because I know then at that point, you know, that's when they're probably going to get serious. Uh, and you can kind of gauge how you're going to move your day along as uh, based on when that flight's gonna go. Uh, when you're in a Zoom mediation, you don't have that end of the day crunch or the person's gotta leave. Um, you can lose some of that leverage that can make the in-person mediations effective. So um, I think Zoom mediations have their place, uh, but more so than in depositions, I think in-person mediations also uh, continue to have a place for me. Yeah, no, Tony, you know, you allude to a lot of, uh, I think, good points. Um, first of all, I, I, it's my personal preference that I think all mediations be in person. I, I think there is a number of benefits to it. First and foremost is whether it's a, 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 a one plaintiff, one defendant case or a multi-party case, uh, what you have, in my view, is people 
with real skin in the game, whether they've walked from one building to another to, a, uh, to the mediator's office, whether they've driven in you know, 15 minutes or, or two hours, or whether they've flown in. Uh, they ultimately have skin in the game because they've taken time out of their own day, uh, out of their own lives, to come in and, and try to work towards something. And I've just found that mediations in person, uh, you get that sort of motivation by people rather than when they're just sitting in their either in their homes or their home offices or their offices and they're comfortable and they can do whatever they want and they've got other cases up on their screen. Uh, you know, my view is, especially at opening statement uh, at a mediation, it provides me the one opportunity during the litigation to speak to the person or persons that hold the purse strings. Um, and so I can give them uh, a realistic view of the case that I intend to put on at trial so that no matter how it's being skewed or how the case is being skewed uh, by the defense attorney's uh, status reports and evaluations, they get my view of it and they get my client's view of it. And so when they're there, I know they're listening. I know they're involved in it. I know that they've traveled in for it. I had one case against a large manufacturer during the COVID period. And uh, literally during my opening, uh, the representative of the defendant uh, who had the purse strings um, was literally on another Zoom call talking to somebody else and had not turned on their mute. We had to ask them to turn on, turn on their mute or get off their other call. So I just feel like that, like people feel as though they can multitask in that sort of situation. Um, and also, like to your point, Tony, I agree. You know, one of the great things, especially when you have multi-party mediations is, you know, after opening, when everybody caucuses, everybody goes to their room, um, while the mediator is in with, let's say, one defense party, it gives you the opportunity to walk down the hall and go talk to some of the other defendants, maybe answer some of their questions if you have a good relationship with them, maybe talk to them and, and have more practical discussions uh, about how to get to a resolution if that's what your client is attempting to do. So I just don't think that you can do that uh, in a virtual setting on Zoom, on, uh, on Teams, or, or, or you know even phone mediations, which that happened way back when. I just really think that it benefits everybody uh, when those are, are live and everybody's in person. Uh, those are just excellent points. I, I, uh, I struggle with this one, and I'll, I'll, and I, because I agree with everything you both said. There's two things that really jump out to me um, that, I, that I love virtual mediations for, aside from the obvious and, and saving travel and all that. One is, you know, we're so proud in, in our firm and in our industry of, of knowing and the relationships we have with our experts and knowing that for every particular case we have, knowing that we're able to get the right expert for that case. And so, you know, oftentimes a, a, a virtual mediation, because sometimes, you know, the, the economics just don't warrant flying out, you know, your team of experts to a mediation to do a presentation, um, but it's much easier to do on a virtual setting. We're able to show the other side, hey, we can bring our experts and we can say, hey, just, you know, log in and, and let's do a, a presentation at the beginning 
for 20 minutes and we can show the other side yeah this is a battle of the expert cases but we've got you know the winning expert for for this particular scenario so that's very powerful for me and the second thing is you know i love that clients can now participate so often you know clients were phoning in you know mediations and, and or giving us authority and then we would go do our job and call and check in with them because they couldn't get authority to come now they can watch us work in the mediation process and that's really neat because you know all three of you myself we've taken extensive courses on and we now we even teach courses now on the art of negotiation and and it, it allows us to show our clients you know that process and that art um, and not just say well here's the end result and you know great news we got you know x dollars on this case and, and you know maybe more than what we expected it's they can see the whole process of how that unfolded and it's just it's really neat to share that with our clients yeah i i think everybody's made points that I would have raised. The one thing I'll add to the discussion is I think there's an added layer now that when you're selecting a mediator, if you're going to do it by Zoom, you have to ask yourself, is this mediator capable of coordinating and handling a Zoom mediation? And it's kind of been a mixed bag for me, if I'm going to be honest. I think some people have been very effective in how they do it, seem to have a process in place that makes it as close to an in-person mediation as possible. Um, and I've seen other folks struggle, like, you know, Josh mentioned, I think earlier, I think it was Josh about, you know, people having microphone and speaker issues. Um, I've encountered that a couple of times in mediations. You know, I think as an industry, what we're going to be questioned on going forward is, you know, the cost benefit, right? Uh, we can now have clients easily remotely participate and we may start to have hybrid mediations, you know, where we're in person and perhaps other clients and other representatives are remoting in, um, in either scenario. And, and I know Josh is a fan of this. I, I still wholeheartedly believe with doing a, a pretty detailed opening to lay out cases. So you just have to sort of adjust it. Um, I think we're kind of coming to the end here of our discussion. Anybody have anything else they want to add on mediations? Yeah, Joe, if I could just point, uh, touch one point, you raised a, a very good point, uh, the cost benefit of it, right? And so there may be a, a front cost benefit that one views that, hey, we don't have to spend the money on sending our adjuster uh, to the location. We don't have to spend the money on sending the attorney to the location. However, if that provides you, and I think, and I've seen, and I, I full-heartedly uh, believe that you're going to get a better result in an in-person mediation. And so the cost benefit to that is that going, spending that little amount of money up front is going to uh, bring in a lot more dollars. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. You know, the other, only other thing I would add too is if you're gonna do a Zoom mediation, it gives you the ability to pick a mediator that doesn't necessarily have to be local. Uh, I know for a fact there's a mediator down in Florida that I really like for cases uh, that I probably wouldn't have used in an Illinois case, for, for example, but that's now an option that wouldn't have otherwise been available to me. So that's another thing too. Yeah, mediations without borders, I guess. Um, so I think we kind of, unless Dave, you have something else to add, I think we kind of wrapped up our session here. Um, I want to thank Tony and Josh. I want to thank you guys for joining in. It's always good to have two heavyweights like yourselves comment and, uh, uh, although Josh did not agree with me on anything today, it's it's always good to have different perspectives. And I would just close out the overall sort of topic that 
I don't think there is a bright line rule. I really don't. I think this is going to be a little bit in flux for the next couple of years as we feel our way through this. Um, and, you know, so I think everybody's, I think if you asked 10 uh, subrogation attorneys about this, you'd get 10 different positions. Um, so thank you guys for adding some perspective to this. Yeah, thank you guys. This was great. I uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there's it's so telling. This was, I think this was probably our our longest podcast because you know you just have differing you know views on this topic. Um, but I'll remind everybody two quick points as we close out this one. Um, follow us uh, on LinkedIn, uh, myself David Briscoe or my colleague Joe Rich, um, to get updates on when we have new podcasts coming out and to get links to the new podcasts um, and other relevant subro info. And then two. Um, on this topic of, of you know remote depots and mediations, we do want to remind our clients something we've been doing since you know the pandemic that's very popular amongst our clients is Zoom subro discussions. It's um, in this post-COVID era where a majority of the subro industry is remote. You know we lost that dialogue that's so important to to the subro industry where you're going into a colleague's office and talking about a particular case or a particular issue. And so our clients have said they they've lost that dialogue, that connection with their team. So we we've created this series of Zoom subro discussions that bring together a, a carrier's entire subro team to discuss a particular subro issue or topic. And and clients are absolutely loving it. So if that's of interest to any of you out there listening, reach out to to Joe or myself and. Um, otherwise, I also want to thank our guests and, and Joe again for uh, today's discussion. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. All right, everybody. Listen for the next podcast. Thanks, folks.